Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Chris Geis. So, you want to ride a motorcycle better, faster, safer, with more skill and confidence? Or do you want to ride a motorcycle for the first time? Or ride again after taking a break from riding? Well, the purpose of my podcast is to help grow the sport of motorcycling by helping riders of all levels, whether they are new to motorcycling or not, increase their knowledge and skills so that they are better, smarter, safer riders and are getting everything they want out of motorcycling, whether it's on the street, on the track, or maybe even as a fan or a participant in some form of motorcycle racing. My game is to help all motorcyclists up their game. This is episode 42, titled Jonesing to Get Back to the Track. In this episode, I chat with Jordan Long from JL Unlimited. Jordan is a motorcycle enthusiast, club racer, track day coach, and motorcycle podcaster. We cover everything from how he got started riding to how he found riding again when he was in the Navy stationed in Honolulu, Hawaii, and how he eventually got hooked on racing his Yamaha R6 at the club level. We talk quite a bit about Moto America and the prior history of motorcycle road racing in the U.S. with the AMA Pro Series and the days when Daytona Motorsports Group, otherwise known as DMG, ran professional motorcycle road racing in this country. We also talk about his nine-year-old daughter's interest in motorcycles and how he is looking to get her set up with an Ovali GP0. And we end off speculating about when the COVID-19 pandemic will be better under control and when we might expect to return to some sense of normalcy regarding track days and road racing. And we reflect on how lucky we are that the Moto America Road Racing Series takes place in a single country and that it'll be much easier for the organizers to get things back up and running than it will be for the international-based series like MotoGP and World Superbike. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, April 29th, 2020, and is being published on Thursday, April 30th, 2020. I hope you enjoy it. So, you want to ride a motorcycle? Well, you've come to the right place, because this is the So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle podcast. This episode is brought to you in part by the following supporters of my podcast. Thumper Club member John Gardner, also known as G4, Parallel Twin Club members Shane Patilla and Jerry Vavaro, V-Twin Club members Richard Warfield Jr. of R-Dub Studios LLC and Harley Nemzer from the On the Road Again Motorcycle School, Triple Club member Aaron at The Motorcycle Rider, and V4 Club member John Delvecchio from the Street Skills LLC Motorcycle Riding School and author of the book Corner and Confidence. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your support. It is greatly needed and very much appreciated. If you would like to join these supporters to help grow my podcast and other motorcycle-related content and thus contribute to the growth of the sport of motorcycling, please stay tuned to the end of this episode or check out the podcast supporters link on my website. I would also like to announce the new affiliates program. If you go to the affiliates page on my website, you will see the companies that I have partnered with to bring you some of the motorcycle gear and services that I use myself. Not only will you benefit from their products and services, but if you make a purchase using the links on this page, you'll also be helping to support the podcast financially. So I'd like to welcome these affiliates. Street Skills LLC, which provides the Corner and Confidence book and online course. 
If you purchase a course or course and book combination from my website, you'll also be listed as a supporter on my podcast supporters page as a Parallel Twin Club member. If you're already a podcast supporter, a portion of the purchase price will be credited towards your next support level. And I'd also like to welcome Bond Body Armor, which I've been using for a couple of years now. If you go to their website using the affiliate link, you'll get 10% off your entire purchase from their online store using the discount code they provide. Tell them you heard about Bond Body Armor from this podcast and get a free helmet liner. So in this episode, I want to take the opportunity to catch up on some listener email and also some news and things that are going on. So um, actually, I had mentioned in a prior episode, uh, actually the one about the Daytona um, Slingshot Week, that um, Gene and I had met up with a listener who I referred to as Fred A. And actually, Fred, I finally went back and I found the original email you had sent to me. So I wanted to read this. So this is from uh, Fred Algayer or Algayer. Uh, Fred, I hope I pronounced your last name correctly. If not, you know, please shoot me an email and uh, be sure to correct me. But uh, so Fred said, uh, and this was actually going back to January. So sorry for the delay in, uh, in reading this, Fred. But he said, hello, Chris. I recently discovered your podcast and have been enjoying picking my way through the episodes. I've noticed that you're always encouraging the listeners to contact you. So that invitation, plus your comment in your last episode, number 36, about wanting to go to the Daytona 200 this year, prompted me to reach out with this email. I think I first heard about your podcast on a Throttle podcast episode or maybe one of the other podcasts I regularly listen to. I'm a longtime Throttle listener and had the pleasure of meeting up with Larry out in his neck of the woods last year, so that's really cool, Um, near the end of a three-week motorcycle trip from my home near Denver, Colorado to the West Coast. We met for lunch, talked motorcycles, and he led me and one of the guys I was traveling with on one of his local rides. It was great to meet Larry and get to ride with him. In terms of an introduction, I'm a lifelong motorcyclist getting my first motorcycle while still in high school in the late 60s. And he says, yep, I'm an old guy. Uh, welcome welcome to the club. He's actually a, a little bit older than me, but he was smart and got uh, started riding a lot sooner than I did. Um, anyway, so he says, uh, and he's never been without a bike since then. I've had a wide variety of bikes from dirt bikes to sport bikes, touring bikes, and now an adventure bike. Not by design, but all my bikes have been Japanese makes, and I never got into the cruiser-type bikes. My current ride is a 2014 Suzuki V-Strom 1000 that I use for on-road touring with the occasional dirt road thrown in just to remind me how much my off-pavement skills have deteriorated. I've toured extensively throughout the U.S. and have made numerous trips to Europe to ride the Alps. I gotta say, Fred, I'm very jealous, which in my opinion is the ultimate riding experience. If you enjoy twisty roads, the Alps are a bucket list must. I don't keep track of my annual mileage or exactly which roads or destinations I've done, but every year I at least get in a trip to either the West Coast or the East Coast, and for the past seven or eight years have met up with with riding buddies from other states for a week of back road riding in northern Arkansas, some of the best riding in the country there. So that's really cool, Fred. I'm going to have to keep that in mind, make a little mental note of getting down to Arkansas to do some riding. I've actually been there many, many years ago. I uh, went, was on vacation with my family and traveled across country, and Arkansas was one of the states we went to. Uh, anyway, so Fred continues, I'm not the tourist type that visits the popular attractions, but would rather avoid the crowds, ride the back roads, and see that part of America, which means I avoid big cities and freeways whenever possible. When I'm on a motorcycle trip, I just want to ride and enjoy the freedom of the open road. That's not everyone's cup of tea, just my preference. That said, one of the many great things about the motorcycle culture and lifestyle is the wide diversity of everything associated with motorcycling. The machines, the people, the activities, you name it. Uh, 
It's all interesting to me and I appreciate it all. When I think of the many aspects of this motorcycle passion that you apparently have been sucked into, uh, yep, you got that one right, uh, I'm always reminded of the film, Why We Ride, that captures the essence of motorcycling better than anything else I've watched or read. If you've seen it, I'm guessing you agree. If you haven't seen it, check it out. If it doesn't strike a chord, check your pulse. So yeah, I guess that's a really good point. I actually, I have not seen that film. It's, it's definitely on my list of things to do. But so uh, thank you for the reminder on that. And he continues to say, enough of my rambling and back to my reference to the Daytona 200. I've wanted to go to that race since I was a teenager when I was just getting into bikes. I've always been an iconic, I'm sorry, it's always been an iconic event at an iconic venue. This year, I'm finally going to check that off the old bucket list. I'm planning on being in Daytona for two weeks, including all of Bike Week, and we'll be going to all the racing events, including the 200, the opening round of American Flat Track, the Supercross race, and whatever whatever else they have. So yeah, Fred, actually, I don't know, did they hold the Supercross race? Because if I'm not mistaken, that was the first week of, of uh, Daytona Bike Week, not the last week, which you know, obviously we all know what happened, you know, what they ended up... Uh, rescheduling the uh the, Amer- the the American Flat Track TT and the Daytona 200. So just curious, I I just I don't follow motocross or supercross that much. I'm curious just if they if they held that race. Anyway, so he continues saying uh I've been going to Daytona quite often since 2011 when our son went to college there, but I've never been there for bike week or the 200. We now have a condo on the beach there, and I was there at least five different times last year. Yes, I'm retired. That's kind of cool, including for Biketoberfest, which, as I understand, is a mini version of Bike Week in March, which is interesting because it's looking like at least that's when the Daytona 200 and the uh, AFT TT have been rescheduled to is Bike Week at Daytona. So uh, assuming that that goes ahead and things are a little bit back to normal, uh, Gina, I I believe Gina's going to join me, but uh, I definitely want to be down there for that. Um, and then, so he ends off saying, um, last January, I finally bought a bike, a 2012 Honda NC700 to keep down there and have enjoyed riding, riding around Florida during my visits, including a ride down through the keys to Key West, another of my bucket list rides. Once I got a bike there, I slowly began getting into the very large and active motorcycle community that's there, making contacts with some great people and going to various meetups and rides. So, long story made even longer. If you do get down to Daytona for the 200, it'd be cool to meet up with you. So, Fred, I'm glad we got a chance to do that. Uh, it was really cool getting a chance to meet up with you and, and hang out at the dealership a little bit uh, and chat and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, next time I am down in Daytona, I will let you know. Um, hopefully, we can hook up for uh, for Biketoberfest. That'd be really cool. And then he just closed saying, yikes, this email got long. Sorry about that. Not a problem. I, I enjoy all kinds of emails, short, long, or otherwise. He said, uh, I don't expect to have this read on your podcast. Well, here we go. Here we are. I doubt there's anything here of interest to listeners. Uh, and actually, I, I, I kind of disagree with you there, Fred. Um, uh, you've actually hit a lot of different points here. And for sure, you know, any listeners that live in any of the areas that Fred lives or, uh, you know, has done any of the kind of writing that he's done, let me know. Like, uh, maybe we can hook him up with, with other listeners, you know, who uh, share similar interests or writing in uh, similar areas of the country. Uh, anyway, so Fred, uh, thanks thanks again for your email. I love how he ended off saying, hope to hear from you and see you in Daytona. And I agree, it's always time to ride. So Fred, thank you very much for that. I also got a really cool email from Chris O, who lives in Taiwan. And Chris said, uh, hello, I listen to your podcast regularly and I love the topics you discuss on the podcast. 
I'm a beginner rider currently riding a 150cc bike for practice purpose to hone my skills. I'll be using the above bike until the end of the year 2020 or until January 2021 when I'm confident of my improvements and have saved the money to upgrade my bike. I'm looking to buy my next big bike that is at least 700cc, preferably 900cc. Please do a podcast about why you like your Kawasaki Z900 RS because it's among my type I'm sorry, among my top bikes to buy next. So Chris, that's really cool that you're looking at the Z900 RS. Um, and so Chris and I have just emailed back and forth a little bit. Uh, so I, I will be doing an episode. I don't know exactly when. Sometime in the next couple episodes, I will do one on my Kawasaki Z900 RS. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Um, yeah, Chris, so I'm, I'm glad you're looking at that. And I hope that episode will, will be of use to you. Um, also, in a follow-up email, Chris mentioned... Uh, In addition, it'd be a good idea to consider adding an episode on the Honda CB1100EX. I'd like to have your thoughts on this bike, too. So, Chris, uh, I probably won't be doing that simply because I have no familiarity or knowledge about the CB1100EX. However, uh, I do have lots of listeners out there. So if there is a listener who either has that bike or, or is familiar with it or has a friend or knows someone that has the bike, and even if you or they would like to come on the podcast and talk about it, you know, definitely hit me up. So you want to ride at yahoo.com. Uh, maybe we could set that up and do, do a podcast episode and uh, help Chris get some information on that bike. Chris ended his email saying that he's an avid listener of the podcast uh, and he sees that we both like Moto Jitsu and Keith Coates' philosophy of motorcycling. And he said, thanks for promoting the sport. So, Chris, thank you very much for being a listener and taking the time to write in. I really, really appreciate it. And, uh, yep, keep keep listening. Uh, let me know what else you'd like to hear about. And like I said, I will get together that episode on the Z900 RS. And uh, last but not least, uh, I got an email last week from Mokhtar R. Mokhtar, I hope I pronounced your first name correctly. So he said, hi, I just wanted to say hi and that I like to listen to your show. Since you like to hear from your listeners, here's some info. I live in Norway. I'm 26 years old and ride a 2014 Honda CB650F. I ride as much as I can and also do longer trips. I've been listening for about a couple of months and enjoying it. Thank you for the great podcast. So, Mokhtar, thank you very much for being a listener and and for writing in. That's really cool on the Honda. Um, Yeah, so... uh, I'm I'm really happy, you know, to to hear about you know people like yourself, younger people who were smart enough to start motorcycling at an earlier age. Um, and uh, actually, I'm I'm curious to hear, you know, what what the, what the sport of motorcycling is like in Norway. So, um, your your written English seems very good. If uh, if you're comfortable speaking English and you have an interest in coming on the podcast, I'd love to talk to you. I, I think uh, I know I would love to hear about motorcycle riding in Norway, and I'm sure the listeners would too. So uh, yeah, if uh, Mokhtar, if that's something you're interested in, definitely shoot me an email. All right, so uh, just a couple news items before we get into the main part of the show. So back in episode six, I did the interview with Eugene and Shauna Sanderson about the Women Riders World Relay. So something kind of cool, um, Eugene, you know, who is the one that, that put together, he actually created, he built the batons that were used both in the, the U.S., um, what they call it, the, the ripple relay, as well as the baton that was used in the main relay that went around the world. Um, so he and his wife, Shauna, um, participated in the U.S. part, or, or at least part of the U.S. part of the world relay. Uh, and so he 
took a lot of GoPro video and stuff um, when when they were out on the relay. I believe a lot of it uh, was on the Pacific Coast Highway out on the, the West Coast in California. So he uh, has a YouTube channel, and he recently started publishing his uh, his GoPro, you know, his, his videos up on his YouTube channel. So I just told him I'd, I'd help him promote it. You know, he wants to just kind of give people an opportunity to see what it was like riding on the relay, at least in the U.S. So I think that's really cool. So, uh, yeah, so Eugene, uh, I'll put the link to your YouTube channel in the uh, the show notes for this podcast. But everyone, uh, definitely go check it out if you have any interest in the Women Riders World Relay and what that was like or even just riding on the Pacific Coast Highway. Definitely check it out. Uh, and then a, a quick comment on helmets. So back in episode 40, which was Daytona Slingshot Week, hashtag ride it out, and the quest to find a helmet that fits properly, uh, I talked about just that. You know, my, my recent, uh, you know, it was about over the course of a month or or so where I spent a lot of time researching helmets and, and you know, spent a lot of time to find a helmet that really fits me properly. Um, so two things I wanted to mention that, that, one I wanted to correct and something I neglected to mention. So one, in that episode, you know, I mentioned the fact that the problem was that my head shape seems to be most like long oval, while most helmets on the market, probably something like 80% of the, the helmet models on the market are designed for people with intermediate oval head shape. Uh, and I would said that my two built helmets that don't fit me properly are intermediate oval. I double checked on the Cycle Gear website and it turns out that they're actually round oval, uh, which I had known but forgot about. Um, and so the point being that explains even further why those helmets are too big for me, right? Because my head, you know, dimension wise being longer, significantly longer than it is wide, in order to get a round oval helmet that fits front to back, there's a great deal of space on the sides between the side of my head and the, the, the inside of the helmet. Uh, and so that explains, I think, why both those helmets, you know, it are kind of very easy to rotate, you know, a little bit around my head, which, you know, once I started looking at safety and getting on the track and wanting a better fitting helmet, I realized was was not something I was really happy with. I do, I do still use those helmets on the street, particularly because they've got the built-in comm systems, and I haven't gotten a comm system yet for the new Arai helmet. Um, you know, and and they're still, you know, they still they still protect my noggin if something goes wrong. Um, but I definitely would not wear them anymore for anything like high speed or very spirited riding. Um, you know, when it gets to that kind of thing, if I'm not on the track, but doing canyon carving or something like that, or tail of the dragon or whatever, maybe if I can get a chance to meet up with the guys from loud pipes uh, in the fall. Um, anyway, yeah, I definitely will be wearing that awry helmet. The other thing that I failed to mention, uh, it was kind of interesting before going through this whole thing of, you know, picking out shopping for a new helmet. I had often seen pictures of Arai helmets, like in catalogs, Cycle Gear and Brevzilla and things of that sort. And I always steered away from Arai helmets because it looked to me like the viewport, like where, you know, what you see through the visor was, was much smaller and very squished down in comparison to other helmets. And I realized, you know, in this process, and it's just ironic that I ended up with an Arai helmet, you know, after having that thought. The reason for it is, is Arai is probably one of the only helmet designs that has, um, you know, uh, pods that they're basically plastic plates that go over the, the ends, the pivot points, basically, where the visor attaches to the helmet. Now, Arai says the reason they do that is they don't like to have a helmet design where 
the visor is inset into the shell. Like if you look at a lot of well other helmet designs, basically there's a depression or pocket in the sides of the helmet, you know, where the visor attaches uh, so that the visor is more flush with the helmet. And Arai's belief is that, you know, they, they, they say that they don't do that because they believe that that interferes with the ultimate ability of the helmet shell to protect your head. They're very much about having, uh, you know, a smooth rounded shell that has, you know, no no deformities or anything in it that could weaken the shell or the basic strength of that kind of, you know, round egg shape design. So anyway, that that's an awry thing. You don't have to agree with it, but that's the reasoning for it. But what so anyway, the point I'm getting to is I realize that it's not that the viewport on the Rai helmet is smaller. It's just because of those side pods, you don't see as much visor plastic. Um, and so it turns out it's totally fine. I mean, in fact, I love the viewport in this helmet. Uh, you know, the, the visor material that they use, the plastic is optically correct. It's very clear, no distortion or anything. You know, excellent peripheral vision. I haven't really had a chance to try it in a tuck yet. I did try it with my uh, Cycle Gear, the built helmets, and as I kind of expected, you know, when you're in a tuck, because they're not designed for that kind of riding necessarily, uh, my, my vision, like when you're tucked down, the, the, the top of the helmet over my uh, my eyebrow, you know, on, on my forehead interferes a little bit, blocks the vision a little bit. I have to now try it with the Arai. It should be better because, you know, this is more of a track type helmet and track helmets tend to have a better view, you know, uh, don't block your vision up when you're in a tuck. So anyway, I'll have to check that out. Uh, and then finally, I just wanted to mention uh, Corner and Confidence. So I had John Del Vecchio on the last episode, which was really cool. Uh, I finished the Corner and Confidence online course, which was really, really good. I can highly, highly recommend it. So definitely, you know, go to the affiliates page on my website, check out the link. If you're interested in the course, you can do the first two chapters for free to check it out. And then, uh, yeah, if you sign up, you know, please use the link on my affiliates page as a, you know, a percentage of what you pay will will go to the podcast to help support the podcast. So again, John, I really appreciate you uh, working with me on that. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to mention is, you know, I said in that episode, I hadn't started reading the book yet, which I just started uh, two, two nights ago. And, and just to be clear, because we didn't really talk about this, but for the most part, the, the material in the book is what you see in the online course. So the, the images and the text and whatever is pretty much the same. There is a little bit of an introduction in the book that I don't recall being in the online course. And there's a section at the end. Um, so anyway, so the point being, so I've, I've read those pieces that I didn't get in the course and I'm not going to read the book right now, but what I'm going to do is when I'm ready to start going step by step and practicing the things that John suggests, instead of going through the online course again, um, what I'm going to do is just read the book and just kind of go step by step. Like he said, you know, it's easy to throw in your top case or your, your tank bag or whatever to have with you so that you can just look something up quickly. You know, you're taking a break from a ride or whatever, you know, having lunch, you know, or you want to review the, the action items and things, which I had saved on my phone from the online course. But since they're in the book, that wasn't necessary. So anyway, I just wanted to clarify that, that the, you know, the online course is very much the material in the book with the added advantage of the videos where, where John presents the material himself like so it's videos of him and then also the demonstration videos which of course you don't get the benefit of in the book so i i definitely would recommend you know it's only a few dollars more to get the online course with the book 
I would, if I was you, I would just do that. And then, you know, you've got the book, you've got the hard copy on hand anytime you want to take a look or quickly, you know, flip through. So, all right. So that is cornering confidence. And now let's uh, take it away with the shoe. My special guest tonight is Jordan Long, who has been riding motorcycles since he was 12 or 13 years old when he started riding somewhat illegally with his buddies on the streets of the Bronx in New York City. He also raced a little while he was in the military stationed in Hawaii before he started club racing in 2009. He is also a track day coach for Legacy Track Days, and Jordan is also a fellow podcaster and has his own podcast, JL Unlimited, which you can find on all the major podcast platforms. So, hey, Jordan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Chris. Appreciate you having me on the show. How are you doing today, sir? I, I am doing well. It's, it's, I know this has been a long time coming. It, it's kind of funny. We've been talking about this for quite a while. And I remember yeah. sometime last year, it was maybe early 2019, I had come across you on Facebook. Um, I guess, you know, because by now I've got quite a few, quite a few, I've got more motorcycle friends you on got Facebook more than me than i have others but well no but i guess just whatever you had popped up and i, I started seeing your stuff and you know I, I saw you posting a lot of things about track riding and club racing and you know as you know one of my interests is getting out on the track so i just you know i just kind of winged it i was like hey uh would you mind being my facebook friend and so we kind of <laughs> and you said yes of so course cool. so we kind of got hooked up that way and yeah. then what was really cool was getting to meet you in person down at Barber Motorsports Park uh, last season. Yeah, that was fun. For, for the last uh, Moto America race of the season. So that, that was yeah. really cool. We got a chance to hang out a little bit and have some dinner and talk motorcycles and racing st and stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm really, really curious to pick your brains. Um, I've got a ton of questions. So let me – I'll try to, try to do this in some kind of um, – who sensible, cares? sensible format. I was just talking about Let's uh, let let's let's start talking about your podcast. So, um, okay. as you know, I'm a I'm a fan of your podcast. I'm a listener, and uh, you, you've had some really cool interviews. So, particularly, I mean, I, I think and anyone in, interested in motorcycling would find them interesting. But particularly, listeners who are into motorcycle racing, um, it, like tell me the ones that I miss here. But I know that you interviewed Josh Heron. I think that was the first one I listened to. Wayne yep. Rainey, you did a, yep. a quick, like a 15, 20 minute interview. Yep. Uh, CJ Cohen, is he the, yep. the guy that owns, is that Legacy Let's Track Days? Days? Yep, that, that was a great interview. Uh, I forget the guy, he owns the parts company. I don't know who's, it's, tell me some of the other, other episodes that or interviews that you've done. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a couple of them that I'm still in a process of doing, but uh, Joy Higa, uh, she was she was a professional uh, motorcycle racer for the Superbike series okay. uh, for for Motor America when they first started. Actually, for the first two years, I uh, have her interview when she was doing a tire test uh, down in uh, Austin, Texas, for the Motor America round. And I did a whole bunch of them with a uh, whole bunch of interviewers. I'm trying to think of some of them off the top of my head. Amin Motorsports, Amin, I interviewed him uh, while I interviewed Josh Heron and just a slew full of people. The Westby Race Team, mm -hmm. uh, Jug yeah. Chiachetto, uh, interviewed with him. Super, super nice guy. Very intelligent 
and he's got a wealth full of knowledge. Love talking with him, just getting some backgrounds. Uh, but yeah, just a lot of people in the Motor America paddock. I try to uh, you know touch base with and and gain some knowledge and stuff from yeah. Greg White, uh, who's kind of helped me along a little bit. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, I, I let's talk to with him podcast a little also. bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Greg and uh, yeah. and um, Jason Pridmore. Um, yeah, Jason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Me and Jason have talked on and off track for a number of years. Uh, some of his staff is constantly inviting me down to, uh, well, it was the, the star program, but now the Jason Pridmore race team, uh, along with a slew full of people that he's been putting through the Motor America paddock. So I'm definitely going to try to get a hold of uh, of him again. But like I said, but me and him talk usually off track more than on track. Yeah. But yeah, I got a couple people that uh, I'm still trying to process through and uh, hopefully get on the podcast. But uh, but yeah, uh, cool. not to mention you. You know, like I said, I'm following you on your podcast also. Yeah, yeah. awesome, cool. Glad to have you as a listener. <laughs> Thank you, appreciate and, it. Yeah, uh, because I know. I mean, you started doing these interviews a couple years ago, at least two years ago, right? Uh, I started the idea of doing the podcast, I guess, before podcasting really became big. Long yeah. story short, when I first interviewed Josh Heron uh, at the Heron Compound, this had to be, and I'm not exaggerating, 2006. Uh, wow. okay. <laughs> he was like 25, 24 years old at the time mm-hmm. uh, because I met him in 2009 when myself, my family, uh, started running around. This is when, this is before Motor America. This was um, AMA DMG. What what I mean by AMA DMG, if you haven't followed the series, AMA sold through the American Motorcycle Association. They had AMA Pro. They actually sold the rights to DMG, Daytona Motorsports Group, which actually owns NASCAR. Right. So NASCAR actually bought the AMA label. So they, they bought it outright and they never changed it. So they continued on the following season when AMA sold to DMG and they continued everything um, as it was. Didn't change the name, didn't change the label, didn't change anything. It just kept on going. So after like two or three seasons of them doing that, they kind of lost interest with the racers, the the fans, uh, a lot of the racetracks, so forth and so on. So once that happened, uh, Wayne Rainey and the Crave Group uh, decided on, okay, no more of this. We're not having these these guys kill the uh, the sport that we all love mm-hmm. and the sport that we you know died and killed for and we still love to this day. So they actually teamed up with FIM Federation of International of Motorcycles. It's actually a little bit different in Spanish, but that's what FIM is. Helped Wayne and his group grab the company back, change the name, regroup everything, re-strategize everything, put a whole new package on it, whole new label on it, all new everything on it, called it Motor America, and they've just been doing a, a fantastic, awesome job since then. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah, they've, yeah, they've been doing really, really good. So, sorry if I went on a tangent. No, um, it's totally fine. I mean, it's, it's interesting that you mention it. You know, I've heard about the DMG days. That's before I started following. I mean, mm-hmm. I started following Motor America really 
I guess about 2016. Well, yeah, 2016, which is when I, I started riding so that motorcycles was like the, myself. There was like their second year. So that was the second year where they yeah. were really, things were starting to pick up. And, and yeah. I remember like watching the, I guess it was the first year of Twins Cup where they still, you know, I remember seeing some Twins Cup races where there was like eight, eight bikes or something like that. But, but mm-hmm. even that, like it caught my attention. It was like really good racing. So it, it's interesting just to hear back. And, you know, like I was saying to you before, like I listened to Greg's Garage podcast, uh, you know, yep. Greg White and Jason Pridmore. Yep. Um, and, and they sometimes will talk about like the DMG days. And recently, uh, off track with Carothers and Bice, they talked to John Ulrich, which was yep. really like. Ep- yes, I listened to that podcast. Yeah, for too, people yeah. who haven't listened to that episode, check it out. I mean, they're, you they're, have to. All, all their episodes are good, but that one was especially good because he talks about when he started racing back in the 70s and the evolution of the whole uh, the safety fence program that he and his son yep. put together. Um, yep. You know, and and he talks about the DMG days and and you know he, you know he has very very good things to say about Moto America and the difference you know in 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 having people at the top running the series who are either were pro motorcycle racers or at least deeply involved in the sport. You know, and the difference that that's made. So, that, yeah, yeah really, if Chris, really good interview. If Chris and his his father John, if they would have been able to uh, buy out and you know over, I believe they would have in a heartbeat. Because I, I I don't know the Chris Ulrich family and the rest of the Ulrich family personally, but I have met Chris. Me and him have talked. Uh, I've met his father John, very nice gentleman. I've met him a couple times. Me and him have talked. Uh, with some other people who have was racing back in the '60s and the '70s, and they they tell me from their mouth to my ears that they cringed once they heard that DMG was buying the AMA rights to you know AMA Pro Racing, and it was just like, oh, we know exactly what's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to happen. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. But yeah. It, it was a really tough time for everybody, and I, I really hope that this interview, along with all the interviews that we do, really fall on new ears so that they really get uh, not just accustomed, but they really get the bug that all these motorcyclists have across the country. We're sometimes scarce and few, but we, we do have a very strong and very dedicated um, following that we can definitely fall back on. So people think that I see some rider on the street and I don't uh, not really acknowledge them, but I just kind of like, man, if I can get them on the track or if I can coach them or if I can, Hey, don't do this, don't do that. But, you know, but yeah, this is the first step to hopefully breeding the new racer or the new rider that wants to get on a racetrack or just become a better rider. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting too, like, um, what, what Moto America is doing with the the new kind of little side or support series that they're, they're introducing. Right. So like, and, and obviously with the whole COVID-19 thing, you know, and, and everything right now, it's all up in the air and you yeah. know, who knows exactly what's going to happen and when racing yeah. is going to start. But yeah. you know, prior to all that happening, you know, what they're starting to put in place with this, oval, like the Ovali class, Right. Mm-hmm. Racing, racing the little motorcycles for the younger kids is really cool. Um, yep. They've got the, you know, it's, it's only going to be a couple kind of exhibition type races, but this bagger class that they introduced. The um, bagger, the 300, uh, they was doing the 1200. They're backing out of that right about now. But uh, they've got a whole bunch of support classes that are in the mix, in the making, and they're still revamping things. So 
uh, I want to say a congratulations to the Ovali Group, uh, which yeah. you know is an import company coming into here. Uh, Brandon, oh, I can't remember his name right about now. Save the save the life of me, but um, he was a racer in the U.S. who was racing out of Portugal and the islands in the Philippines. And I don't know how he got in touch with the Ovali group, the Ovali motorcycle group, but he got in touch with them, got some motorcycles over here. Josh, Tony, uh, and a whole bunch of other guys have just jumped on it and have mm-hmm. been flying yeah. the colors really, really good. And uh, it'd be really fun to see it. And I, I haven't rode in a volley just yet. I have mine on, on order. So hopefully I get mine pretty soon. But my youngest daughter, she wants to start racing, and I'm ordering one for her. And I may actually surprise her with a uh, custom graphic kit. But uh, they have done a really good, amazing uh, team up with Moto America. And, and those are just going in leaps and strides and really good to see. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's cool that your daughter wants to race. In fact, um, I, I think I think you had commented on, or maybe you shared it. Also, had shared. You know, Moto America had posted something today about the nine-year-old girl who's going to be racing. In, uh, yeah, Kayla. Kay- Kayla. Kayla. Yakoff. There you yeah. go. Yeah, Kayla so Yakoff. I, uh, me, I, Kayla, her dad, and my daughter. Uh, we're we're you know, Kayla's a little bit older than my daughter. So my daughter's going to have to do some, you know, some catching up. But uh, <laughs> that's what we're kind of calling, you know, the dream team for, you know, for female road racing right now oh, cool. is uh, Kayla and uh, Kay- believe it or not, Kayla and Kieran. Doesn't that sound good? Kayla and Kieran team. Definitely. So uh, <laughs> hopefully if that goes off for the next you know, couple of years, then uh, we'll have a serious female duo battling up for who knows, Superbike nice. Series 600s to, you know, the 300s. Who cares? But yeah. as long as they're having fun and promoting good motorcycle racing, that's all I care about. Yeah, definitely. So K- Karen is your daughter? Yep, Karen yeah, is my cool. daughter. She's uh, nine years old right now. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I've got her a Wee 80 right about now that she's going to be uh, riding on. So uh, after we do a couple of rounds and kind of get her acclimated, uh, the Ovalley is going to be pretty much one of the next tools that she's going to be using for hopefully, like I said, because she's so young, you know, got to get her feet wet, got to get her going through the motions. But as soon as she's able to get her license, uh, yeah, she's she's definitely looking forward to uh, to get on the racetrack with dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, actually, because uh, uh, when, when I saw the post about Kayla Yakov, I, I went to her, you know, her Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, it's just really cool. And I don't know, maybe she's a little bit older now. I don't know when they created this page, but it says, mm-hmm. uh, I'm nine years old. I've been racing motorcycles since I was five. I've won yep. 12. I've won 12 championships. <laughs> yeah. This, this kid is really cool. So uh, actually, I, I think I'd love to have her on the show as a, as a guest if I can, uh, if I can get in touch with her. I can probably make that happen. Yeah, like I said, I've got, I've got her dad's phone number. Uh, okay. We actually met up. Uh, you had to leave. No, actually, no, no. Yeah, you had to leave. So this was after the last Moto America round where yeah. STT, Sport Bike Track Gear, uh, had yep. a track day the day after. Okay. So I hung out another two or three days after that. Oh, Kayla cool. was there. Uh, Kyle Wyman was there. Uh, Jake Zemke was there. Everybody else kind of scattered a little bit, but I hung around for a couple of days, and I was actually going to go to the the banquet for the you know for the, the for the, the last win, hoorah the championship. And, yep. uh, so yeah, I was actually going to go over there, but like I said, I had to go back to work, stinking job. But <laughs> other than <laughs> I that, know, you know, having to make the money, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Got to make some money. Go back to uh, go back to work so I can you know 
meet up with the more guys and you know go to more races and stuff but yeah i met up with kayla and stuff like that and me and her dad talked for a little bit so yeah uh, everything is going really really good with them and yeah i've seen videos and i've seen her on the racetrack where she's on her little i think she's on a 250 now where she was on a 125 the year before where she was hurting people's feelings on 600s Oh, wow. So now she's on a 250, which I think she's going to be switching out to very shortly. I can't give out too much information, but Kayla and her father already given some information out to what she possibly may be doing. But uh, she was hurting people on thousands. And this is at Roblin Roads. Roblin Roads is a pretty fast flowing track. And to be on a 250, which tops out about 90 miles an hour, you're hurting people's feelings on a thousand or, you know, a 1000 CC liter motorcycle. And this little 12 year old on a 250 is hitting the turns harder than you are and passing you up. Yeah. Kayla is a, a, a name to be remembered and a force to be reckoned with. (laughs) That's cool. Actually, I have to go look for some videos of her riding. That sounds, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, nice. um, so a question I had for you. Um, so back in the DMG days, right when they were running AMA Pro, um, mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing they also ran different classes, right? Like you had Superbike, I guess, like Superbike, Super Sport, that kind of Correct. thing. Correct. They still ran the like the four or five classes that we had: the Superbike, Super Sport. Uh, we had the Vintage. Uh, wouldn't really call it a Vintage, but it was the. Uh, the Harley Davidson 1200 series where it was almost, there was road course racing, but these bikes were pretty much made for the dirt oval. So Mm. they did a couple quick little modifications to them, got them so that they would be road worthy for the racetrack. And then they ran them along with, everybody not or not with everybody at the same time but they had their own series so they had about four series at the or four races at the series at the time when they swapped over from ama pro to ama pro dmg okay so everything they try to keep on there but the the bad thing about it was because dmg i don't know if their pockets wasn't deep enough once they bought the licensing for ama pro the purse went down uh, so a lot of the guys who was racing uh, AMA Pro, not to say they were, you know, in the money and stuff like that, you know, they was uh, it was enough money to to pay the bills, and if you did good, you know, obviously you go to the next round. Once you lose your purse by let's say twenty five percent, you know, then you may have to think about downsizing or potentially even missing a round. When DMG in their third or fourth year starting dropping the purse down to like 50% of what they were used to, you mm-hmm. know, the years prior, then it's kind of like, okay, we can't race here anymore or we can't do this anymore. And then people started backing out. A lot of yeah. teams backed out. A lot of the privateers left because they couldn't do it. Uh, they wasn't winning enough. They it wasn't, worth they wasn't it. winning enough. It wasn't enough. It wasn't. It wasn't good enough for them. Yeah. So then the the big teams. Uh, this is even Michael Jordan Motorsports. No one even knows that Michael Jordan actually had a professional motorcycle race team that actually won a round in the two hundred, or one or came close to winning a round in the regular season, and no one even knows that because the DMGs at the time didn't 
really think about playing the race series at a decent time. They're playing at 11 o'clock at night on a Sunday night when people got to go to work in the next morning. No one's going to watch a race. No one can watch a race. Or they're playing at 1 o'clock in the morning on a Friday night. Everyone's drinking and partying and doing other stuff. You know, no one's going to be watching the racing at one o'clock in the morning. Right. So it was it was a hard time for everybody. But like I said, I'm just really glad that we're past that. And I'm really glad that the Crave group have really come through and has turned everything around because uh, I would like to see some some people who really earned their rights to come up into the series to, to come up. I've seen a lot of track day riders even now that I coach that could potentially come up really fast, really good. Or even some that I've talked to in yesteryears that had to cut their, their, I would say their careers short because they couldn't stay in a series that wasn't supporting the sport. So then they had to go elsewhere. No, I, I would name Jake Zemke as a perfect example. He's a really good guy. Uh, he was a fantastic racer. He still had a lot of good years before he had to leave. But at the time, the team that he was with wasn't making enough money. And this is the team that had a million dollars gifted to them every year. By the beginning of the year, a million dollars given to them like, hey, run the program with this money and the sponsorship program money that we get. And mm-hmm. they still can do it. Wow. Now, so, who, who was providing that money? Michael Jordan. <laughs> okay. So, okay, okay. Yeah. Like I, I don't know. Michael Jordan, Jordan himself. Team. So that was, so he, he was putting up a million. million dollars. Okay. To run the team. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah. Did, and, did, uh, did he I, continue like after the DMG days or did the team kind of dissolve? The team folded in. Um, he pretty much sold a lot of his stuff. Aaron Yates, who is a local um, middle Georgia a road racer and a, and a great talent. He still lives in middle Georgia with his son, Ashton, who is hopefully going to make another big splash uh, back in Motor America. But he's still down there. And um, he has one of his original Michael Jordan motorcycles that he raced with back when he was racing. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Um, so it, it, it's kind of interesting, right? Because there, there's, there's obviously a lot of names in racing. I mean, even just take Moto America, right? But you know, I follow Moto America. That's kind of my main thing. But I try to follow World Superbike, you know, Moto GP, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, as, as, as big as the sport is, like if you look at the number of teams and the number of racers and whatever, it's still like a very kind of small, tight knit community, right? Like, I mean, yes, like you, yes. you probably know. I don't know. I don't know what the percentage is, but uh, many of the people in the paddock, right? Like when, when you go to a Moto America race, right? You know, a lot of those people. I wouldn't say I know a lot of them. Um, I'm still getting to, to know people who I don't know in the sure. paddock, uh, whether it be the smaller teams or the uh, bigger, larger teams, uh, some of the bigger, larger teams, some of the people who are the movers and shakers in those teams know me on a first name basis, mm-hmm. you know, shake my hand, give me a hug, whatever, uh, when we meet up and some of the people in the paddock, 
who I've just been meeting for the first time, an uh, old boss from Bobby Fong. We know Bobby Fong got a new ride. Right. Congratulations to him. Yeah. Uh, I was kind of scared for him at first because uh, he's a stupendous rider uh, that needed a ride really, really bad. Uh, I was getting, I was seriously getting scared for Bobby uh, because he's still young and he's still got a lot of years ahead of him. Uh, but long story short, um, his old boss um, from the Lattice Group never really knew me that well, George Lattice, and we finally met one, actually twice. Uh, one at the tire test and one at another round to where, you know, we talked story for, I mean, we talked good for about a good half an hour, 45 minutes. And, you know, we just never really clicked. We never really got a chance to uh, link up again. So hopefully, you know, Mr. Lattice and his team will uh, hopefully come out the woodworks and bring out another Ducati. And (laughs) and, there you you go, Kyle Wyman. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Kyle Wyman, he's another beast. We won't even go there. Oh, my goodness. Kyle Wyman is a monster. Yes. Uh, He is right about now. He is my New York idol. Uh, he's been doing everything by himself on his own, yeah. all the phone calls, all the emails, designs his own bike, customizes yeah. his own bike. He's done yeah. that program is his 100% hands down. No if ands, buts about it. No yeah. one can claim anything on it. Maybe his wife <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can right. claim anything else. But Kyle Wyman has put that whole program together. Yeah. And hopefully if uh, Kyle gets a chance to hear this, Please reach out to me again. Uh, I apologize. Uh, me and him were supposed to talk. We never linked up. And uh, like I said, I was, I'm was i doing everything by, by myself. He should know how that happens or he should know how that works. Sure. And uh, he's doing a stupendous job. Still front running in the practice times. Uh, he was top five, no, top three in the 600 uh, doing the uh, Daytona for the Daytona 200. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. he was top in the, the Daytona yeah, 200. He was practice. top five in the Daytona 200 practice, uh, when they canceled everything, when Josh Heron got pole position right? and he took it like a, like a champ. So yeah, yeah. Kyle Wyman is a, is a great mentor for anybody who is a privateer team. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, yeah, it's really cool to watch him. I mean, I think, you know, I had interviewed him on the show last season, um, uh, yeah, it's really cool. And, and to see him at Barber, I think he at one point was up to like third or second or something in that race. So yeah, it, it's really yeah, he was cool. Fight, he was fighting see. for the pole. He was fighting up for, for pole, but he was fighting yep. for the podium. Yep. The it was, it's really was cool to see him. He was like third or fourth, though, like the whole race. Yep. 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 So it was really cool to see him pulling that program together. And that was before his surgery. Right now he's had the next surgery. Right. He said he's feeling a lot better now without pain yep. and, and all that, whatever numbness and stuff he was having on the bike. I think so it was the shoulder surgery. It could have been a neck surgery, but I thought it was a shoulder surgery. But no, like, yeah, either, either was, way. Yeah. Neck was the most recent thing where uh, he had a. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he had a disc replaced or something like that. Yes, um, I remember that. Yeah, I remember so, that a while ago. And uh, he he talked about that on the, uh, the Off Track podcast. So, yeah, so that's really cool to see. But I, I love what he's doing as a privateer. And it's interesting because when I interviewed him, you know, I had said something to him about, well, it, you know, it was – and I was—I said I was impressed. It was amazing to see what he was doing as a privateer team against the factory back teams, Yamaha, Suzuki, yep. whatever. And it was yep. interesting because he said, he said, he's like, yeah, like yes, and I'm proud of that. But he's like, 
I don't want to look at it that way. Like, like uh, basically what he said is like, I'm a racer. I want to win races. So yeah. I'm never, I don't want to use as an excuse. Like I'm a privateer team. It's like, I don't care about that. I want to win races. So it's like, yep. that's, that's not even a factor. So that was yep. cool. I really, I really liked that attitude. And that's yeah. yeah part of which is just, just, he's just a cool guy. And, and I just, like, again, the fact that he's got this privateer effort going that he pulled together really quick last year. That's one of the reasons like this year, I signed up for the KW Army, right, to to mm-hmm. support him in the superbike program. Uh, you know, and the bummer is, of course, they're not racing yet. But you know, that's nothing in, that's outside of his control. But I'm like really anxious now, <laughs> now to see the season get started, right? Because I'm really, you know, really behind this guy. I want to see what he can do. So. Oh, I know what Kyle can do. Oh, I I can tell you exactly what he can do. You give him an inch, and he will, you know, take a mile and then some from you. So I mean, yeah, you give him. Uh, you don't even have to dangle a carrot in front of him. He is ready to go at the at the start. Uh, you just if the light looks green, if it, <laughs> if it's opaquely green, he's going for yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah, he is a uh, a go hard charger from the beginning. His program doesn't stop, even when he's off the track. Um, he's taking phone calls. He's making phone calls. He's setting things up for the next year. Even before the the year ended, he was already on the phone with Ducati and some other people. I can actually say that because I was there uh, face-to-face with him setting things up for next year. Mm -hmm. So he he does not stop at all. So he's just a beast. Yeah, you could say he's the kind of guy like the wheels are always turning. Like he's always yeah, like, yeah. what's next? He's always what's got next? ideas and stuff, and he's yeah. always marketing. He knows how to do it. He, he like yeah. I said, he's been doing it for a while. From like, if I remember, he's been doing this for almost fifteen years. But the, yeah, but Kyle like Wyman Racing has been around like two thousand six. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's actually interesting. I mean, I didn't know this before I did the interview with him, but he started doing flat track. Which was really kind of cool yep. uh, as as a pro racer. So that was interesting. And and the other thing too, like he's he's really good at the social media stuff. You know, there's a bunch oh, yeah, of guys like jo- like Josh Heron is good at it too. But you know, Kyle seems to do all his social media stuff. He's now hooked up with Gray Fam, who I also had interviewed on the show, right? Who's like the kind of up and coming uh, motorsports cinematographer. So like I don't know if you've noticed, but. You know, Kyle's got a lot of videos and stuff coming out that Gray yep. has put together for him. So yep. that's kind of cool. And Gray is now starting to get his stuff like on the Moto America Facebook page. So that's starting to roll. So it's, it's kind of it's just interesting to see like how things click and start to develop. That's great. Yeah. 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 Small. Like you said, small community. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, what uh, what actually I don't know you if you. If you saw it or you answered it, I thought it was kind of cool. Mona America had sent out a survey to fans, you know, basically trying to kind of feel out like when the restrictions are lifted and they can start holding events again. You know, how do people feel about stuff like, you know, will they go to races? You know, if they go to races, you know, how do they feel about unassigned seating or assigned seating? And, you know, do they want to be far apart from other people and should masks be required and all that kind of stuff? And it seems like the results were pretty positive. Like they was cool. Like today they put out a like little article on the Motor America website that kind of broke down like statistically, you know, kind of where people feel and and for the most part like people are you know fans are ready to see racing so like they they're like they're like me like i'm ready to go to the track and and start seeing some racing and stuff you have any what what, what's your feel like when is the whole thing gonna start up again i believe that from a uh from a, a racing standpoint 
I'm like I said, I'm a racer myself. I'm ready to get back to racing myself. Like I said, I'm missing out on getting behind the the, the windscreen and dropping my knee down as much as anybody else. With the survey, believe it or not, I actually didn't get that survey, but I will definitely tell you my input on it that when I went down to the to Daytona for bike week, everything was normal. Everything was like like normal. It was it was no you know, get away from me, space apart, yada, yada, yeah. nothing like that. Right. Everybody was still shaking hands and uh, still brother, you know, brother with brother, sister with yeah. sister the whole weekend. Um, I saw a quick video when on YouTube that Josh does because, you know, he's a great uh, videographer with his team. And he also said the same thing. Just like he was actually disappointed that ccs and asra canceled everything well it wasn't in their control but you know they had to go abide uh what daytona had mandated and everybody else had mandated and the federal federal administration had mandated that you know everyone needed to you know cancel the event but still have fun at the weekend and everyone felt pretty much good about it it's kind of like hey it's, it's it's just another weekend we're ready to get racing we're ready to have fun we're ready to get the party going so um so yeah i feel kind of like the same way i don't think even if you mandate something like that okay we need to say six feet apart yada 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 i guarantee you by the end of the day not even the end of the by lunchtime People are going to be hugging, giving high fives, you know, congratulating each other. It's going to be back to normal. So I don't think that um, the corona has deteriorated or has diminished the spirit of motorcycle racing in the U.S. at all. Oh, yeah, I don't think so. I, th- I mean, people are chomping at the bit. And, you know, I, I like like what Moto America, Moto GP has done the same thing, maybe World Superbike, where they're giving people free access to the, you know, old archives of races and stuff to at least yep. give people yep. something to watch, which is really kind of cool, right? Because, okay, even so you don't get to see racing right now this season, but, you know, not like me, not everyone has seen all the races going back. So it's a, it's kind of actually a good opportunity to get to, to catch up on stuff. So So that's kind of cool that they're making that available. Um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I mean, so w- were you down in Daytona this year? Yes, I was down in Daytona this okay. year. Actually, I didn't uh, realize that because I, because I, I know you and I were chatting, and I think where it left off is you weren't maybe you weren't sure if you're going to be able to make it because Gina and I were down there. Um, we actually, you know, we we had finally kind of worked it out. We were going to hang out with the Gilbos and their race team, you know, since they had said no no spectators or whatever. Right. Um, so it looked like we were going to get to hang out and see the race, and then you know, obviously we know how how things ended up. Right. Like my my thought on it, what I'm kind of wondering, and this is just my speculation. I have no data to support this but i wouldn't be surprised you don't nobody wants to run a race right this is a spectator event nobody wants to run a race with empty grandstands right it, it it's <sighs> it's not it's not good for the series it's not good yeah, for the advertisers it, it's, it's not good for the tv coverage so what i'm wondering what i'm thinking is probably what was happening was they're like okay we'll we'll run the thing you know we'll say we're going to run the thing without spectators and then they scrambled like crazy to see if they could line up another date on which they could run it hopefully with spectators and once they got the agreement that you know from daytona speedway that hey we could do this thing in october i'm get and again this is just my speculation but i'm thinking that's when they were like okay we're going to cancel the race 
it's I mean? a possibility. It's a possibility because I know for a f- uh, not for a fact, but uh, the past couple of years with CCS and ASRA, what they've done is they've done all of the video through Fans Choice. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know what happened to Fans Choice, but that's what we used to go to to watch the videos and to get all the scoring and timing through mm-hmm. CCS and ASRA. This year or this past year, uh, I don't know what happened to them, but they weren't going through Fans Choice. They actually was going through another company. And from what originally happened early before they canceled everything was that they was just going to air it. They was just going to have everybody in the paddock, no fans, and just air the the race and let them do the race. And even still, that would still be kind of, yeah, like you said, it would still be kind of, not say boring, but it wouldn't feel right without having fans there. Um, believe it or not, uh, even with all the CCS and Azra fans there, you know, Daytona is humongous. That yes. packs in, yep. you know, 1.2 million people. I mean, mm-hmm. infield, outfield, everywhere. So w- even though you have your little sprinkle of people in the paddock, not the paddocks, but the uh, the, the, the grandstands, the grandstands, yeah. right? Stuff, it's still not, packed. you know, it would still help. But yeah. yeah, to have them not there at all and just have the racers and the teams there, yeah, it, it's it's good for the accolade. But yeah, it's definitely not good for the sport. So I don't know what happened to them. But originally, the other broadcast team that was supposed to come in to air it, I don't know what happened. And then next thing you know, you know, less than twenty four hours later, they kinked it, and yeah. then um, we are where we are. Yeah. So, I mean, overall, I think it's good. Uh, You know, hopefully, you know, who knows? You know, it's it's interesting, right? Because before the whole pandemic thing had started, you know, in one of my episodes, I had mentioned like all the the Motor America rounds I was planning to go to, you know, at least four or five if I could swing it. Now I'm like, it's not that I'm not interested, but it's like I'm holding off until we see exactly what's going to happen because I I don't want to go make travel arrangements and the whole thing. And then it gets, you know, postponed or rescheduled again. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm thinking October, you know, is far enough out that hopefully at least what I'm seeing in the media and whatever that things or you know, the restrictions will loosen up. So hopefully it's yeah. going to be a good show when they run the Daytona 200. So, oh, I think it's going to be fantastic. Josh Heron is biting at the bit right about now because he's the one who got pole position. I and know. then next thing you know, it's <laughs> yeah. like, okay, everybody meet up and then we're kanking it. Yeah. So that's yeah, he wasn't too happy about that. So tough. yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, you know, I don't know. I, I like it. It's racing, right? That's, it's, it's, right. that's how, that's how yeah. things go. So, and there's, be there's, ready there's, for anything. There's, there's no reason that he can't pull the same thing off again, right? In October, if it, yeah. if it, if it goes through. So yeah, that yeah. should be interesting. But I, I tell you, you know, one thing as we're talking, I'm realizing is, you know, one of the things about Motor America being an American series is, and I hadn't really thought about this before, but it kind of makes it easier for them to get some races going. You know, if you look at like MotoGP, and and I tell you, like I don't, I would not want to be in the shoes of the guys, you know, Dorna, like doing the planning for MotoGP, where you oh know, yeah, you're, they, you're dealing uh, no, with they are how many oh. countries and how many yeah. teams, yep. and you know, trying to get a race set up, plane tickets, exactly, and, oh, yeah, transporting all the equipment yep. and everything, and yep. all the like. Every country has different regulations and different protocols yep. and different ways of doing things. So that that's got to yep. be a mess. So 
you know, oh, I don't blame them. You know, it looks like the way they're leading right now is it's going to be, okay, we're going to race, but we're not going to have spectators and it's going to be kind of minimum. You know, we're going to want to keep the teams as, as few personnel as we can where Moto America being at least it's within a single country, which for better or for worse tends to be a little looser with things, right? You know, yeah. maybe, maybe we can actually go to the track and see some racing. Who knows? Um, I'm re- like I said, I'm ready for it. Uh, I can't wait for you know for for me anyway for the flag to fly, so that I can go and and twist an, uh, a throttle in anger because uh, <laughs> I am definitely backed up right about yeah. now. Oh yeah, cow! Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I, I will say like even and I, I don't think this will be the case. But even if with Moto America if they decide that they have to hold the events without spectators, hey, I, I mean, I will continue to watch the races. I, you know, I'm still a dyed-in-the-wool Moto America fan, but it, it's so much cooler being able to at least go to a couple, you know, rounds in person. Yeah, you know? definitely. It's, 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 if you've never been to a Moto America race, uh, it's very different watching it from your couch or wherever you may be watching it at or listening to it on your phone or whatever the case may be to actually being there, smelling it, hearing it, feeling the motorcycles fly past you at whatever corner you're at. I love being in the S's at the top of road Atlanta and seeing them all hit the crest going past you and hitting back on the throttle and that's just one of the love places I love to be at, as well as the bottom of 12A, 12B, which everyone knows is the uh, is kind of like the corkscrew back at uh, at Road Atlanta, mm-hmm. and a um, couple other places I've been through. But yeah, it's it's definitely a sight to see a race up close and personal, and even getting a chance to shake hands, take pictures, walk the grandstands, or just you know did, do the pit walk. Which you know has become a, I think, to become a tradition of Moto America, because not too many organizations have really opened up the the pit lanes. Yeah, the pit lanes for yeah. for you to meet your racers and to take pictures with them and shake hands and get autographs and stuff like that. So, you know, that's that's one of the great things I like about Moto America is that they're always constantly uh, keeping the bar up or the, or they're they're dressing the bar and raising it up every single time. Yeah, and and it is really fan friendly. That's one of the things I've talked about. And you know, I don't know. Maybe it changes in the future. Like if Moto America gets really, really big, like to the level of Moto GP, maybe they have to be a little more secure and whatever. But at, at least for now, in the next couple of years, it's really cool that you you have that level of access. You know, it, it's like the, the, you know the, the the racers are walking around I, I the paddock. See, you, you just go up to I, people. Not and to say it's a bad them. thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. see it's a bad thing, but. Uh, I don't really see love security. Um, who knows? You know, not to say God forbid, but I would love to see Cameron Boubier become the next Valentino Rossi. You know, <laughs> well, see that, that's the interesting see- thing, right? It it it's it's like a it's a double edged sword because on the one hand, you know, of course, would I love to see Moto America grow and be as you know uh, uh, well known and well 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 recognized as MotoGP? Sure. Um, but on the other hand, it's nice that it still has that, you know, more, that more informal, family friendly, you know, kind of atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that's where um, kept everything at the forefront. If you ever go to a Moto America race, they always have a fan friendly and a family friendly environment to where they have uh, places where you can 
uh, go get not just your merchandise and go get drinks and food and stuff like that. You can go play with your kids and they can experience their own little motorcycle experience themselves where uh, my daughter has a book from Minimoto GP book that actually came out where you get a chance to have the child experience going through the ABCs of lettering through the motorcyclist point of view. I thought that was fantastic. And I bought three books mm-hmm. and I got one for my my daughter, one of my nieces and my nephew and just kind of introducing them into the motorcycle world through education. Right. So another little thing that motor, that motor America's has been doing and, uh, needs to have a little light on, but you know, that's what we're here for. We're, we're yeah. here to expose that and shine a light on, uh, on the other people around us. Sure. And that, that's the Mimi and Moto books you're talking about. Like the, yep. the, yep. the Mimi, motor, yeah, motorcycle, motorcycle mo- monkeys. Like yeah. it's like, yeah. a, like, yeah. like basic skills, like, uh, whatever it's learning numbers and stuff like that. Learning yeah. Numbers yeah. And stuff. Yep. That's actually yep. cool. Actually, we, we met the author. He was at New Jersey motorsports park at, at the motor America round. So it was cool to get a chance to just talk to him a little bit. Um, actually, actually, that reminds me. I wanted to have him on the on the podcast. I just haven't set it up yet. But really interesting, interesting guy because basically he and his wife had just decided. You know, they created these characters, and I think they're on yep. their second book. Um, yep. And I think they're starting some other stuff, like some kind of computer game. They've or got something. some videos and stuff going on along yeah. with the book. Yep. Yeah, but, but and I follow them on Facebook and whatever. But basically, yeah, just as a way to get little, you know, young young kids interested in motorcycles, which is really yep. kind of cool. You know, start. Exactly. Start start bringing in the fans at an early age. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, start them early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Empty so, your pockets early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. I might as well get them warmed up to it, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, and actually, it was cool too because I know you know he had a table set up with the books and some merchandise or whatever. But then they also had like uh, a little. Like a little circuit set up with those, uh, yeah, the little strider little bikes or whatever you call yep. them. Yeah, so kids could yep. just get on a little two wheel thing and kind of yep. roll around, which is kind of neat. And then uh, it was not not associated with that, but in December when I was at the International Motorcycle Show in New York City, they had uh, oh, what's the uh, I think Harley Davidson bought them the um, those little uh, what do they call them strider not strider I forget the name of it but but they're like these little motorized bicycles basically mm-hmm. um and so the kids were, were riding those around like they had a little course like a little oval setup it was kind of cool to see you know these like four and five year old kids you know out there right riding on two wheels and it was interesting too because it was uh at the the javits center right which is convention center yeah. and down down in the basement you know like for the booths and stuff they lay down carpet but it's basically just a like a polished concrete floor so mm-hmm. the, the the circuit right they had these cones set up on this polished concrete floor which was like i guess a little slick so you saw, saw a couple of the kids like low side you know going around the turns on these things but but it was cool but it was cool because they weren't phased it was like they you know they had their helmets on or whatever they just get up shake it off get back on the bike go riding around keep, again keep moving yeah, yeah exactly nice. <laughs> um so maybe maybe we could talk talk a little bit about your club racing experience how um, um how'd you how'd you get started with that Believe it or not, the club racing experience uh, started in right around 2002-2003, where I was stationed in Honolulu, Hawaii. I was I was stationed in uh, Pearl Harbor, and I got a older Jixer 600 called an yeah. S Rad. So I got a uh, an S Rad, and I was put you know putting it around and getting back and forth because it was I was a single uh, sailor 
in Pearl Harbor and what better place to start or not start writing, but to get back into writing in Honolulu, Hawaii. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I got me a, um, uh, 90, I think it was a 99 Suzuki, uh, 600 at the local Indian dealership. They're no longer there anymore, but, uh, the local de- Indian dealership got it used and, uh, started writing. Uh, once I started writing, you know, kind of get my feet wet again and, you know, started acting up, doing some tricks and doing some wheelies down, um, uh, uh, the main strip and stuff like that, almost getting arrested again and getting back into my hoodlum Bronx days. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a friend of mine told me, it's like, hey, we're going to the track. And I'm like, what do you mean track? You know, just a couple miles down the road here uh, because it's an island. You know, you can't really go that far. And, uh, and I'm like, well, where's the track at? Oh, meet me this place. We'll head out. I'm like, okay, cool beans. Met him, took me over to the track. And I didn't know they actually had a local uh, small road racing association uh, called HRRA, Hawaii Road Racing Association, to where they had track days open and they had races. So I'm like, holy cow, I didn't know anything about this. So a couple of tries and uh, I'm visiting like every week. That was my uh, my go to on a Saturday morning. Get up if I didn't have duty, if I didn't have any work to do. I was at the Hawaii Road Racing Association and uh, going to the track and hanging out there and talking to people and learning about bikes again. Because when I first started riding bikes in my early teens, you know, I'm just jumping on a thing. Okay, you do this, you do that, you go fast. Oh, okay, cool beans. And, you know, I didn't know what I was doing and stuff. But this time I'm actually learning the skill, learning the craft, uh, learning the equipment. Uh, I knew how to ride a little bit, but, uh, learning from people who were racing semi-professionally at that time definitely rose the bar up for me. So from that point on, I was kind of like, oh, wow, this is definitely something that I like and I like to do and I like to uh, experience more of. So um, within about six months, uh, talked to a couple of people, got some got some decent gear, got a, a good helmet, got some good gloves, good boots, um, only thing I was missing was, you know, a decent race suit. And if I can remember his name, hopefully I don't butcher it up too too much. Kim Nakahara, if I remember his name right. I know his name was Kim, but he was the uh, number one racer in Honolulu, Hawaii. And he actually gifted me his old race suit that was custom fit to him. Mm-hmm. And he was like, here, if you want to race or if you want to get to the next level, you need a race suit. So he actually granted me his race suit and I actually started track day riding from like that next weekend on. Wow. And I actually have a, I actually posted that picture of me in Honolulu racetrack with that suit on that bike. I just posted it on Facebook. I found it like two, three weeks ago and I posted it on my Facebook. Oh, cool. But from, yeah, from then on, um, I was bitten with the bug. The bike took a quick little dump. Yeah, I took a quick little tumble um, before I left Hawaii, uh, before I left and came back to the mainland uh, in 2009, where I got into a 2000, 
um, seven Yamaha R6 friend of mine was getting rid of. And I'm kind of like, hey, I need a bike. And he was like, here, I'm getting rid of a bike. I'm like, oh, okay, cool beans. So I swapped that puppy out. 2009 was my first race season with CCS Azra. My first race was VIR uh, in July. Oh, it was, it was so hot. <laughs> I wasn't ready for it, but uh, yeah, uh, I made it work. And I talked to a couple people after after the race, after the weekend. Uh, I didn't do too bad. I didn't have the best equipment. I had stock everything. I didn't have an. Ex- I don't think I even had an exhaust at the time. And somebody looked at my my timesheets and was like, "This can't be you." And I'm like, "What do you mean? This can't be me?" He's like, "No, this can't be you." It's just like, "Well, what are you talking about? Good, bad, what?" Right. He's. I was doing one thirty nines at the time. This is VIR. This is a pretty big course. Mm-hmm. This is a full North race course. Every corner that Moto America does, we were doing at CCS. And I was doing like maybe 139, somewhere close to that. I don't remember exactly. Maybe probably 149, you know, but who knows? Yeah, yeah. And the guy was telling me, he's just like, this is pretty decent times. You wouldn't be at the front of Moto America. You know, at the, this wasn't Moto America. This was AMA. It was like, you wouldn't be at the front, but you would be somewhere in the middle, close to middle rear of the grid. And I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, dead serious. It's like, that's what I'm saying. This can't be you. I was on tires. I didn't know. I was on suspension. I didn't play around with too much. Um, But like I said, I was having fun. Uh, I was pushing the limit to my limit anyway. And I, and I did some, some good things. And from then on, um, I've did some, some pretty decent things. I've came in, Pretty close in a lot of races. Uh, did some nice battles with some some other racers, and um, yeah, yeah. Started two thousand nine, and I've been racing for about ten years. So uh, from there, I just started switching gears a little bit because I was I knew I was getting up in age, to where I started switching gears from racing to coaching, mm-hmm. and I tagged up with C.J. Cohen, who is the owner of legacy track days he was coming down from new york where he had some substantial uh track day organization skills that he wanted to bring to florida to north and south florida so he got in touch with me he was like hey listen you know i would love to have you be a part of our team let's see how everything goes let's let's play around and uh we'll see everything goes and if everything goes good we'll move forward and that's what we've been doing since uh, for about four years now. Nice. Cool. So did, did you race last year or you just were focused more on coaching? Both. I didn't do a lot of racing. I wanted to do more uh, because of my job. Uh, I couldn't do a lot of racing. I did do about one or two rounds to where anything that could go wrong did go wrong. <laughs> so you got to have one of those seasons where yeah. even if you do like one thing, it just sucks. So yeah, I had one of those races where I was just trying to do one simple race, and anything that went wrong did go wrong. Wow. Um, I lost the gear shift in one race. I had to bail out of that one, so I didn't crash. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> That's very good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, another race. Uh, I actually made it through the race, but I think something else happened to the motorcycle. Uh, uh, to where I need to remap it. So I had to pull out of that race. So yeah, anything that could go wrong did go wrong. But uh, 
like I said, I didn't, I didn't break anything, didn't fall on my head. So uh, anytime hey, you can get back on a bike in one piece is a good day. That sounds good. Yeah, as long as keep you in one piece, right? That's the right. Exactly. That's, like so, you said, that's the main thing. Yeah. So exactly. um, when uh, so when when you were you know in the service on on Oahu, so what was that like a track that they actually had, or what was the setup? The setup was actually a drag strip, aka road course. Oh wow! So it was Hawaii Hawaii Road Race Course, if I remember right. They they currently shut it down because um, funding. That's the main thing. Yeah. They couldn't keep funding in the right places, so they needed new pavement. They supposedly broke up and and had money for the pavement. The next thing you know, they didn't have money for the pavement, so that went away. Then it overgrown. Then they're supposed to clear it all off. Somebody else came into the mix and was supposed to, you know, dump all this money into it and build a track up and get a new tower up and yada, yada, yada. All that supposedly never happened. So before yeah. I left, uh, the course was still pretty rough. You had some spots that you really didn't want to go to. <laughs> you know, you had yeah. those those that one turn. It's like, listen, hit this mark over here because if you six inches wide – you're going to hate life. Mm -hmm. That's how this course was. But uh, it was fun. It was definitely fun. And a couple of years after I left, uh, they were still doing their road race course for a little bit. And then, like I said, after that, the, um, the road course shut down. They didn't have enough money to keep things safe for the drag racers and for the road course racers because they had drifters that they had um, on the course at certain weekends they had the road course for the motorcycles which they had different layouts then they had it for a certain part of the course where they had a quarter mile drag strip Mm -hmm. which you know they had that on a uh a pretty regular basis so it's a lot of maintenance that they had to do that whoever was owning it at that time couldn't keep up with it so you know hopefully that hawaii or honolulu and uh, oahu can get their stuff together and potentially you know, get road course racing or any type of road racing back to the island. Yeah, that'd be cool. So have you heard anything? Like, is are they considering, like, is anyone looking at opening it up again? Or I have. I've reached out to a couple of uh, government officials in Oahu, and I have tried contacting the race course themselves. And currently, to this date, no one has returned a phone call nor an email nor a snail mail. So hopefully it just got lost somewhere and, uh, you know, the number got piled up and they just forgot about it. But hopefully, you know, they they make something happen. Like I said, there was a lot of fun times at that track. A lot of fun times. Yeah, I had no idea that they had a race course there. I, I was on Oahu back in mid-90s, just a little one-week vacation. And uh, I mean, back then, I wasn't into motorcycles, but I was into car racing and stuff like that. I had no idea. But it makes sense, right? It's like, you know, all these all these places, you got at least some enthusiasts that want a track where they can go do their thing. Yeah, yeah. Mostly the drifting at the time was stupid big in okay. the early yeah. 2000s. Mm-hmm. And that's where they actually brought um, the first drifters from D1 out of Japan. Oh, wow. They brought them over to Hawaii because obviously that was the closest place they can go to. Sure. So that was the first place they actually landed D1 drivers in the U.S. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. 
That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. I'm a wealth full of knowledge. <laughs> no, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, that's one of the reasons I love talking to you. Like, uh, you know, I'm so new to this stuff. You know, like I said, I started writing in 2016. You know, I've, uh, I'm doing the best I can to get up to speed on motorcycle racing and what's going on. But there's just there's just so much to know. It, 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 it's, it's actually and I think that's one of the things that that's so interesting to me. I mean, aside from, you know, what there is to learn about how to ride properly, there's all the things to learn about, you know, my motorcycles and motorcycle geometry and suspension setup and mm-hmm. how do you maintain oh, a motorcycle yeah. properly and then you get into racing and racing technique and all that kind of stuff and, oh, and yeah. then the whole history right i mean you go back to yeah. whatever, late 1800s early 1900s you know when motorcycles were first being put together so it's oh, just yeah. uh yeah it, it's just it's an awesome subject there's so much to know yeah i was just i was just watching a video on youtube uh talking about uh Asin and the tt uh, that they started racing back then, you know, 1904. And it's kind of like, you know, they didn't have a course. They was really riding on dirt or on sand or gravel. And, you know, they were still doing 32 miles uh, around the Isle of, Isle of Man. And it was kind of like, holy cow, and they're still doing it to this day. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's really stupendous to the, the guys who's running the TT and the, his, the history behind it that they still keep that fresh in their minds uh, and keep that relished into them, even though, you know, we've got some naysayers about the TT, you know, you know, God bless them. But, uh, you know, we're still going to do our stuff to uh, to keep the legacies alive here in the U.S. and across the world. Yeah. And, and actually, one of the things I've mentioned, and I think you recently shared a link. There was a episode of the uh, Religion of Sport. Right, the, Correct. They, they did yes. an episode on the Isle of Man TT, and yes, w- one of the things that really stuck out from from that documentary was they interviewed a a, a preacher pastor on the island, Correct. you know, and and I don't remember exactly the wording of the question, but it was something to the effect of like, you know, this is an extremely dangerous race that's held every year, yeah. and, and obviously there's more than the Isle of Man TT, right? There's other races throughout the year, but mm-hmm. you know, these races at very high speeds on public streets. And, you know, pretty much every year, at least one person dies. Like, how can you permit this to to go on? And I, I thought his response was really awesome, which was he's like, this is what these people love to do. Like, this is this is part of their life. It's what they choose. And so it's like, how could you stop them kind of thing? You know what I mean? It's yeah. like that's not. You know, it's interesting, right, from from the viewpoint of a minister, someone who's responsible for his congregation or whatever, you know, to, to minister to people, it, it's not about controlling their lives, right? It's about helping them live the best life they can live. And for these guys, if if this thing that they do, this adrenaline rush and this danger and whatever it is, is part of their life, it's like, well, that's how it is, you know? So it was just interesting, interesting to hear that. Yeah, what he was saying was you're you're not going to stop it even though these people are doing some dangerous acts that's what they want to do. Right. You can't stop people from doing something what they want to do. Yeah. They well, I should say not they, we <laughs> <laughs> live and strive off of not just racing. Motorcyclist is a very wide spectrum whether it be a weekend rider a carve turner or a carve, you know, carve burner. Mm-hmm. Yep. Some people call it different words. You know, um, a canyon carver, right. uh, a tourist, uh, or just a long hauler. People just like Sturges is another great example to where people, you know, drive their motorcycles, tow, you know, whatever. They get to Sturges however they can. 
And lots of people go there with whatever they have, whatever tent, clothes, and a little bit of food they have. That's what they go to Sturgis with. And sometimes people are there for the whole week with nothing but dirty drawers and <laughs> dirty bikes. And right. Right. they're having a ball. They're having the, the life of the time of their lives. And you would say the same thing. It's just like, why would you do that? Why would you succumb right. to not having a bathroom, not living in a bed? It, it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah, we're going, you know, 160, 200 miles an hour on certain bikes, uh, you know, but it's the it's the enthusiast in you that makes you want to go there every year, every week, um, every, you know, every day if you could. If I can do it every day, I pretty much would. Yeah. I know a lot of racers. Um, J.D. Beach, he races at least every day mm-hmm. because he has a track in his house. Right. Josh Heron, he almost races every weekend. He could pretty much race every day if he wanted to. He's got a track at his house, too. Yeah. Um, even though he's living in California now, but he's got a house in Atlanta, not Atlanta, but Georgia, uh, where he pretty much, you know, has a course in his house. So, I mean, it, it, you, you're not going to stop it. And right. to say that, you know, yes, we may lose a life at the TTT, but if you ask them, would you want to do anything different? They're going to tell you no. Mm-hmm. I, right. I lost my life doing something I love, I love. to do, right. and I know the risk I'm taking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely interesting. So, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, include the link to that episode in the show notes for people that want to check it out. I, I thought it was okay. fascinating. Should... Yeah, I think yeah. it's about. A, I think it's like an hour long, something like that. It's uh, about yeah, about an hour, fifteen minutes long, hour ten minutes long. Yeah. So that was yeah, really definitely, definitely, definitely a good watch. So. Yeah, so do you have thoughts about racing in the future? You think you'll continue racing, or are you going to focus more on coaching others, or what's your what's your thoughts? Um, believe it or not, um, I want to race. I still want to continue racing. There's a couple people in the 40 and over uh, that I haven't beat, um, so I'm continuing to strive to knock off a couple names um, on my belt. But uh, other than that, I'm pretty much going to concentrate a little bit more on coaching if I can get let's say one or two major sponsors, if I get one person that says, hey, I want you to race at least once a month, something like that, because mm-hmm. in the Southeast region, CCS, Weira, and ASRA, that's the only thing we really have on, this, on the East Coast. Uh, and if I can get one, let's say, company that's willing to back me for my racing, you best believe I'm going to be hauling the mail but uh, if I got to fit the bill, I'm just going to race however, whenever, wherever I can. And yeah. if I can get a race every month, then so be it. If I have to miss a race or concentrate on just one race series uh, so that I can, you know, get a title out of it, then uh, hopefully I can um, continue racing at least mm-hmm. for a couple more years. Cool. What uh, what bike are you racing on now? I am still racing, believe it or not. <laughs> 2007 Yamaha R6. Actually, okay. I have a couple people looking at it. I was actually trying to sell it. Uh, it's just a, it's it's a good bike. Uh, I've done a lot a lot of maintenance to it. Not say I've done a lot of work to it yeah. because you know racing the Azra CCS Weira series, you know you can only do so much to the motorcycle. Right. So I've kept it predominantly pretty stock. It's kept a little, you know a couple of tweaks here and there. 
Uh, but like I said, it's got plenty of power to it. Um, I've run against some 750s, some thousands, some brand new Ducati, uh, 1099s, 1199s, 1299s. Uh, I've ran against those guys. I've ran against some really stupid fast R6s that, uh, who've, you know, who's, who currently in the Mode America paddock, we won't mention any names, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they were stupid fast. Um, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. So, but yeah, I'm still currently running a 2007 Yamaha R6, nice. uh, looking to get hopefully into something slightly a little bit newer. But then again, like I said, I've got my daughter who's going to be coming up. So if she says, Hey dad, I need a new set of leathers. I need a new set of boots. I need a new bike. That's- that's where and the money guess goes. What? It's, yeah. I'm sidelining everything and I'm getting what she needs. That is the sponsor for now. Yes. That, that, <laughs> JL Unlimited is definitely sponsor spot, for yeah. that team. Yes. <laughs> there you go. And actually, hey, that's a good way to put it. It's a business expense, right? You're promoting you're promoting your business. Yeah, so. but I, I can't really stop anybody else. Let's say if a uh, a dealership wants to come in and uh sponsor her. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah. sponsor her then you know then so it's gonna be like hey here we go we got a perfect spot for you right here 10 grand please <laughs> yeah yep, yep 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 the price the price of entry <laughs> yes exactly so yeah i'm definitely going to have that open for any potential sponsors that want to you know come up with a uh, a game plan for me her and and the team so yeah we're definitely on board with that 100 yeah. percent Cool. So is that so? Is JL Unlimited? Is that kind of what you use for your racing as well? I know you like it's for the Correct. podcast. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Correct. Yeah. JL Unlimited is something that I started uh, even when I was in Honolulu, Hawaii. Uh, before I got out, actually, a little bit after I got out from the military, um, I wanted to have something that was mine, my own, and something I could run by myself. Uh, when I was doing JL Limited in Honolulu, Hawaii, believe it or not, I actually started promoting parties at clubs. Make a long story short, when I was back in Honolulu, Hawaii, you know, once you get out from the military, you're able to spread your wings and, you know, not be under the stringent look of the U.S. military. So um, there was a couple of party uh, promoters that I was talking to and and teaming up with a little bit here and there. So then I needed a, a name for myself mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't want to use, you know, my whole full name because then I'd right. be a, a stupid big long banner. Yeah. So I just abbreviated it, uh, made a nice little logo for myself, incorporated the name and I started actually promoting parties. And at the time I was a founding member of the Rough Riders in Honolulu, Hawaii. Everyone knows Rough Riders from DMX, Eve, uh, The Locks, so forth and so on, the music company. Mm-hmm. Well, they also had a motorcycle, I guess, line to their repertoire. They had the music, they had the motorcycles, and they also had the clothes. So I actually helped out the small time I could in Honolulu, Hawaii with the motorcycle part of things. And I promoted that for a good couple of years, and then things started changing, so I needed to change. 
obviously I kept my, kept my name and uh, continued things on. And uh, anytime I needed to adjust something from the company, I just kept it under the name and started, you know, whatever endeavor I was doing. Mm -hmm. So okay. that's why I call JL Unlimited because I am unlimited or we are unlimited and no matter what we can do promotions, modeling, dancing, music companies, um, whatever, motorcycle racing, whatever you need me to do. If I don't know how to do it, trust me, I'll figure it out very, very fast, very good. I will make it a prize product and I will make it work. And so far it's been going pretty good, but taking my time with doing a lot of things so I don't make any drastic mistakes and throughout the years, I have not made not one, not mm -hmm. one wrong move. Cool, cool, cool. So since we're talking JL Unlimited in terms of the podcast, so let's uh, so just tell everybody like how they can find your podcast. The podcast is on oh a lot of <laughs> a lot of places. The main one is going to be on uh, Spotify, Google, and it's uh, pretty much everywhere you put on a podcast. Uh, I put in a lot of money into it. So anywhere you can't get it, you need to let me know <laughs> so that I can make sure it's there. But uh, the main thing is on Spotify, Google, and um, Bing. You can catch it on Bing. They have a podcast site also. And Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R, Spreaker, Spreaker.com. That's where the main site is at. That's, so that's, limited on Spreaker. That's the platform, right? The, the, the podcast hosting platform that you're using. Okay, Correct. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I'll, yeah, I'll also include all that in the podcast notes. So it'll be easy for people to, to find you. Um, back, back to the race bike. So the, the R6, right? Did, did you set that up as a race bike? Did you, you know, purchase it that way? How did that all fall? I per okay. Well, I purchased that as a regular street bike. Like I said, a friend of mine was getting rid of it. Uh, he just got the title to it. And uh, I was kind of like, oh, okay, cool beans. And I don't know why he was unloading it. I think I know why he was unloading it uh, because he was a professional driver, a uh, CDL driver, and uh, he couldn't drive it when how he wanted to and couldn't use it when he wanted to. And nine times out of ten, it was just sitting there doing nothing. So he's like, dude, I'm not doing anything with this bike. Do you want it? And I'm like, heck, yeah. So it actually started off as a regular street bike and i had that rolling for about i would say about four months already had an idea of what i wanted to do with it but i wanted to enjoy the bike you know kind of get used to it you know take it on the road um you know find out any quirks and qualms and stuff with it see if i need to fix anything before i ultimately convert it over and about four months i had my fun with it drove it down to daytona you know had fun at a bike week with it and then uh, stripped it all down, sold off the parts, uh, sold off the fairings, the exhaust, anything I can get rid of, the seat. I sold everything I could so that I can offset the price for converting it over. Cool. Sponsorship came in was Hot Bodies Racing, and they sponsored me for about three years. And uh, my first bodywork came in, converted it over, and I've uh, been racing it pretty much ever since and been growing my Jalen racing race brand uh pretty much ever since then um talked with bazazz amir bazazz got him on board with me uh when bazazz was really big which they still are and uh leo vinci exhaust still have them on board with me arcade chains i get my chains usually from 
uh, Cycle Gear. Cycle Gear is a big sponsor of mine. So whenever I need something uh, I can't get from anywhere else, uh, or if, if I can get it easily from them, then I, I usually get them from there. Uh, Galfa Brakes. Everybody who's on my bike, I've talked with and I've networked with them one on one. And it is, which is a pretty much a contender bike, even to this day, still runs up front. Yeah, cool, cool. So Cycle Gear, do they have like a sponsor program or something? Like as a club racer, like is there some official way you can sign up and they'll they'll supply you or how does that work? Correct. You can actually go to your local Cycle Gear uh, nationwide and ask them they have running. What some of them they actually do have running is a amateur, professional, track day, dirt, and there's another one. I can't remember which one it is. But you have used about five programs that they pretty much run. And depending on what you need, they try to facilitate that need. If you're an amateur, then only thing you need to do is whenever you do race is submit your winnings or your podium uh, to whatever website they provide to you, which is usually a local link or a cycle gear link uh, either to the store manager or to the main website. And then um, from there, like I said, you pretty much get all the gear and stuff that you want at a discounted rate because that's your store. And if you, Mm -hmm. let's say you move somewhere from Anaheim to um, L.A., you let the stores know, hey, I'm moving to this area over here. Is there a Cycle Gear store in that area? Yes, there is. Then they swap you sponsorships from store to store. So you never lose your sponsorship program or you never lose your – if you have any money in the program or anything like that, you never lose anything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're a really good uh, store, really good sponsorship company, and uh, they really support a lot of racers, local, nationally, and regionally. Cool. All right, so so basically the thing is, so you sign up with them, they provide you discounts and things, and I guess what, you just have to sticker the bike to say cycle gear, and, and like you said, just kind Believe of... Believe it or not, yeah, on. they they provide you stuff. They provide you gear, uh, shirts, Patches stickers, and... keychains, stuff like that. Yeah. Let's say if you're uh, Max Flinders, Max Flinders and Kyle Wyman is a really good sponsors for Cycle Gear. You contact them and be like, hey, listen, I'm going to be running, you know, so and so races for this year. I need, you know, a bag full of promotional items or whatever you have and then yeah they'll they'll mail it over to you you know quick fast in a hurry and be like here here's what we got here's what we got you know here's what you need here you go so uh so yeah they're pretty good about that cool 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 so uh so so okay so that's on the r6 and then said like you're looking to maybe upgrade i'm looking to probably stay in the r6 region Mm mm-hmm Thousands, um, well, not say thousands. You know the R ones or the uh, the other companies. I've been with Yamaha for so long that you know if I go to anything, this bike doesn't feel right. So uh, if I do go with like an R one, which feels, uh, I've sat and I've ridden the R one 2016 and 2018, and oh my good, it feels like an R six just with R one power. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how. Um, Jake and I don't know how Cameron or how any of those guys have just been riding that bike. That thing is just a monster. But yeah, if I do something like that, I may do an R1. But like I said, if my if my daughter says, "Hey, I need another bike," I'm getting her Novali. Yeah. She's got a Yamaha PW80. You know, if she needs something else. You know, it's kind of like, okay, well, pipe dream. You know, I gotta 
supply her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Time time to support the next generation, right? Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. So that's that's gonna be kind of like my main thing is is passing the torch. Even though, like I said, she still got a couple of years before she can get onto the racetrack herself. Yeah. But I'm definitely got to get her prepared for that. And whenever she does get on the race course with, you know, people two or three times her age, like Kayla Yakov has been, then uh, I wanted to be, you know, ready for that. Yeah. No, makes a lot of sense. All right. So uh, we're, we're a little over an hour on this episode, so I thought maybe we'd start winding it down. Um, yeah, no problem. Any, any, any last thoughts you have or any last things you want to mention before we uh, we shut it down? You know me, I ramble off the mouthful enough. Um, I just want people to, you know, make sure you support your local riders. Uh, anytime you see somebody on the highway, on the streets, the byways, you know, just look twice. Make sure that, you're cautious and aware of the motorcyclists and the bicyclists that are covering our nation. Uh, there's too many accidents that's been going on, needless accidents that's been going on uh, that could have been avoided, um, which brings me to a point of past four years that we passed uh, Nikki Hayden. Uh, we have passed, you no, know, Nikki Hayden passed at a horrible uh, motorcycle accident or bicycle accident in Italy where we lost a potentially great um, another champion, you know, we know he was a 2004 MotoGP champion yeah. and he was looking for, you know, getting the world title, uh, which he actually surpassed when he went AMA straight over to um, MotoGP. So he was looking to uh, get becoming the first, uh, not the first triple crown, but the youngest triple crown um in our series. So yeah, I just want the, the country to kind of look at motorcyclists, not as a bad thing, but you know, they're trying to get to places you're trying to get to also, and they're trying to have fun and maybe even have a small than all these cars and trucks that we have all over the U S. So definitely think twice about, um, you know, giving a, a, a motorcyclist the finger or give them a hard time. Yeah, good point. Well said, man. Well said. All right. So, uh, what's the best way for people to contact you if they want to like hit you up on Facebook or send you an email? Yeah, best way to contact me, uh, I would say through my email is Jordan Long Unlimited at gmail dot com. Unlimited is spelt the regular way: U N L I M I T E D. Uh, Facebook, the same way, Facebook, JL Unlimited or Jordan Long Unlimited at gmail.com. I've got my Twitter page at Mr. Underscore Long Underscore 23. And you can also get me at my Instagram at JL Unlimited there also. All right. Any other place, you can almost hit me up on the hip or hit me up on any other way. If you see me on the track, you know, feel free to stop by, say hi, wave. I, you know, I'll, I won't even charge you for pictures. <laughs> there you go. Cool, cool, cool. All right, Jordan, I appreciate you joining me tonight. It's been a ton of fun. I hope you enjoyed it too. And, uh, oh, yeah, definitely. Well, we need to do it again, brother. Absolutely. We'll have to, we'll have to do a follow-up. And uh, I don't know, maybe we can even hook up like you and I interviewing some Moto America personalities or something like that. I think that'd be Believe it or not, I'm actually looking for a potential co-host to uh, to do some things with through this corona uh, epidemic. And uh, we don't want to, you know, 
oversaturate. We definitely don't want to undersaturate, you know, mm-hmm. the market. So I'm definitely looking forward to any time we have a chance to talk with any racer, road racer, uh, anybody who's on two wheels. Doesn't matter if you're pi- bicycling, pedaling, motorcycle, whatever. Yeah. I'm always looking forward to it. Yeah, cool. All right, all right. So uh, hang tight. I'm going to shut down the recording, but we can uh, we can chat a little bit after this. Definitely. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks again, Jordan. If you'd like to find out more about my podcast or find the earlier podcast episodes, just point your web browser to soyouwantarideamotorcycle.com or find the link in the show notes included with this episode in your podcast app. If you have any questions about the show or the topics discussed, or if you want to send me feedback, you can email me anytime at soyouwantaride at yahoo.com. That address is also in the podcast notes. You can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram, where I share lots of links to other people's motorcycle articles and video content, as well as providing a lot of my own motorcycle-related photos and content. Just search for So You Want to Ride or find the links on my website or, again, in the podcast notes. There are two big ways you can help support the show. One is free and one is paid. If you'd like to help support the podcast financially, you can donate using PayPal by going to paypal.me slash Christopher or just click the donate link at the upper right on my website. I also now have a podcast supporters page on the website, which lists all of the listeners who are supporting the podcast. Total donations of $5 to $9 will make you a member of the Thumper Club, where I will list your name and any social media links that you want to provide. Donations of $10 and up will make you a member of one of the other clubs where I'll include your photo and biography as well as any links you want to provide. Any commercial organization that would like to support the podcast to help promote their products and services can contact me directly for the available options. All donations will be put to very good use to cover operating expenses and to help promote and expand the podcast. Anything you care to donate will be greatly appreciated. The free way to help is just help me spread the word so we can continue to grow my online and listener communities. So please share the link to my podcast and my social media with family, friends, and coworkers. And also, please leave me a rating and some comments on iTunes and any other place where you can leave feedback or mention the show. As always, thank you for listening. And just remember, whatever you do, it's always time to ride. (laughs) 